Father, we come before you this morning and we pray first and foremost with heart of thanks. We come with hearts that just are so incredibly thankful for your goodness, your kindness, your mercies, which are new every morning. Uh, even as we, we face the, the waves of life, uh, we know that you go with us in Christ. And so we thank you, Father, and we rejoice in you now. And we pray, Father, that uh, as we, <clears throat> have, uh, we have on our hearts Paul and Gwen uh, Crouch, that you would, uh, even now, you would uphold them and help them, Father. Uh, be with Paul and helping him and help uh, the hospital and the doctors and the nurses to be able to uh, help him and uh, help him to get uh, better. Uh, may you give them uh, wisdom to be able to find uh, how best to treat him, how best to help him. And may you give us grace as well that we would just love on the Crouch family and the Myers family and just uh, may, may our prayers rise up to you for him and for them. And so help us, Lord, uh, to do that. And may you help us, uh, even as we'll see in this passage this morning, that you would bind together our hearts in love. And so may that be our witness and our, our heart uh, before you and uh, before all. And so, Father, we, we pray uh, for them. And we pray now as we turn to your word that you would help us, that your word, that you would um, help it uh, to be, even as it is, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, uh, that you may help every heart and mind and eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to fully grasp and receive what your word says. And we know, Father, that uh, this is in many ways a, a very difficult and challenging passage to us, uh, but we pray that we would receive it and we would not go out or we would not even, uh, even now we would say in our hearts and our minds, we would say, we will not leave here until we say we will follow your word that we have heard and received today. And so may that be our heart as we come to your word. And we thank you, Father, and we pray your blessing now upon our time for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, we come to a rather uh, strange passage. It's strange not because of the passage itself, though, but it's strange because of us. <laughs> there has been a common notion or idea or you know, trend that becoming a Christian will make life easier. That your problems, they will, you know, be solved. Uh, that the confusion will go away. That all the complexities of life will not really be there as much anymore. Uh, or, you know, every so often you might even find that, you know, the really especially godly people among us will have a halo over their head as you walk by them. Well, you know, we know that that's, that's not true. The challenge we have with this strange passage is the strangely unbiblical way the gospel has been so commonly presented and even preached. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he calls this kind of preaching cheap grace. 
he famously wrote these words, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And I especially think today we have to focus in on this part, grace without the cross. You know, I remember when I came to faith in Jesus, I mean, my goodness, such a great joy it was, the darkness that then turned to light, that now I know the Savior and I am overjoyed and my life is changed and changing and I am seeking to tell people about who Christ is, what Christ has done, where people at my workplace were seeing a man who uh, cursed more in his words than any other thing I did, uh, turned from someone who was totally different. And so I was overjoyed in the Savior. But even with that joy... I also found that my life was not easier, it was harder. You know, and if I, you know, if we sat down together one day, you and I, I would, I could testify to you from the beginning point when I came to faith up until today, all these things that have happened, these trials that have come, these persecutions that have been, uh, we've encountered along the way. And so, the struggle be- became greater and not less. You know, be- upon becoming a friend of Jesus, the spiritual powers of darkness, they had been put on notice that I was no longer a friend of theirs. How do you think they would respond to someone who says, I love Jesus and I am going to follow Jesus? Whew. That is not something they're going to be happy about. So maybe it might be better to begin by saying we come this morning not to a strange passage, but to for the need for us to throw off a gospel of cheap grace and replace this crossless gospel with the real one. The one that says where you have Jesus and he says to the crowds and to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. And that was not an image filled with flowers and uh, all the, the good things you can think of there. This was the image of suffering. And they knew that. And so with that, like I said, we don't come to a, an easy passage this morning in respect to how it challenges us. But with that, this brings us to our passage here and to Paul's ministry of suffering. So... Reading until chapter 2, verse 5. May God's sure word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions... For the sake of his body that is the church. 
of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order in the firmness of your faith in Christ. Well, in these, I mean, my goodness, we have so much here and so many uh, perhaps challenging things that we see in these verses. But in these opening verses of this, this epistle, uh, you know, in Colossians chapter 1, we saw the church of Colossae, they had begun through the ministry of Epaphras. So, actually, it was not Paul who began this ministry in respect to the Colossians. Uh, It was Epaphras who had preached Christ to the Colossians, and they believed. And so, having said this, Paul, he writes then to a people, to a church that he had never met. So, flowing from verse 23, which Uh, You see there in your Bibles, Paul now he transitions to encourage the Colossians and the believers of Laodicea because this uh, Laodicea was actually very close to Colossae and so they also would have received this letter and that's not just me conjuring that up. You can see it in your Bibles, chapter 4, verse 16. Uh, He says that this letter should also be read to the church of Laodicea, the Laodiceans. And so he then is writing here to encourage the Colossians and the believers of, the, of Laodicea um, with the ministry of suffering and struggle that he has for them. Strange, right? I mean, strange to our ears. I, I really don't, I mean, it's not strange to our Bibles, but it is strange to our ears. So he begins by first explaining to them his purposeful suffering. So this is where a cheap grace gospel would find Paul's words strange. Who said suffering would would come with following Jesus? And as foreign as this may sound, the suffering of God's people, it shows up continually in Scripture. 
And Paul, he even here rejoices in his sufferings. He's glad in the midst of these sufferings. He's rejoicing. Wow, incredible. But note the key word here, his purposeful sufferings. It would be odd, to say the least, if Paul was rejoicing in suffering for suffering's sake. We could even say that would be, in some ways, morbid. I just, I love suffering. I mean, just punch me in the face. It's, I love it when you hit me, you know? That's, that's not what he is doing here. He's not just suffer, rejoicing and suffering for suffering's sake. Paul is rejoicing because his suffering, it has purpose. It is not empty. His suffering was for your sake, for the sake of his body that is the church. His suffering was for the good of the church. Paul, he was a man who was acquainted with suffering. You know, regardless of the cost, Paul, he would go in there and he would preach. He would share Christ. He would love people relentlessly. Wow, what an example. Even while false teachers, they were dazzling and deceiving their hearers with an empty gospel, Paul, he gave them what? He gave them the true gospel. The gospel in full. The gospel with a cross, and even a cross that Paul himself is showing everyone that I am bearing, because I believe in this gospel. It is true. So see it. I will live it out before your eyes. Now, if you haven't found this out yet, the spiritual forces do not take kindly to the kingdom of Christ gaining ground in power. So Paul, gaining ground in power, the gospel, he suffered much with many beatings, imprisonments, and afflictions, but he was faithful unto death. His sufferings were not born out of a self-proclaimed apostleship, but they were born as a man who had been given this ministry by Christ himself. He was a steward, a servant of the gospel. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you love for that to be on your gravestone? A servant of the gospel. But how did this, how did his suffering how did it benefit the church? Well, look around you. Look to your left and to your right. I mean, go out, travel Madison, travel the United States, travel the world, and who will you meet? You'll find followers of Christ who are a testimony to how deeply his sufferings have benefited us. I mean, consider that 13 letters of the New Testament are written by him. Letters that were born out of suffering while he was in prison. And in them, what does he do? He sets Christ and the gospel and its implications before us again and again, letter by letter. And so here, we are here in this building then, sitting under the word of Christ because of his ministry. I mean, that is purposeful suffering. 
So a second purpose, no doubt connected to this first one, is his suffering was for Christ. And here, we come to what may be the most difficult passage in Colossians. Particularly this statement here. In verse 24. In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. So, was there something lacking in Christ's sufferings? If we say yes, and that Paul was in some way completing his sufferings, does that mean that Christ's work is not finished? So you see how it could cause some trouble here. If you mistake it, but I think, you know, if Paul were here to answer us, I think he would say, of course not. (laughs) Have you not read my letters? I have said again and again, Christ's atoning work is enough. With Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the work is finished. Paul would say, and he in fact does say, just look over, chapter 2, verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So I think it is more than plain that that is not what this passage is saying. So if it isn't saying Christ's work is not finished, what is it saying? Well, there are a number of ways, you know, this passage has been understood. And along similar lines, I will attempt to explain what I believe Paul was aiming at here. So as a steward of the Word of God... And it's mystery. So a mystery in Scripture is what was hidden is now revealed. So as a steward of the Word of God and of this mystery, he comes preaching the gospel and displaying the gospel. So this displaying is traced through to verse 29. Him we proclaim. He's saying... Even in his life, he is proclaiming, for those who have not seen the suffering of Christ, he's saying, look at me, I am suffering for the sake of Christ. So he's displaying it. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions in proclamation and imitation. Displaying suffering to a church in a world that had not personally seen Christ's sufferings. So there's one piece to this. The other piece is that this is saying there's a sense when Christians suffer and are persecuted for for their faith, it's Christ who the persecutors are truly persecuting. They are attacking Christ in us. Even as Paul says here, which makes a lot of sense, verse 27, Christ is in us. 
So they see Christ in us, and what does the world do? They oppose Christ. Just like they opposed Him when He walked the earth. So some examples. Paul, he asks, or Jesus, he comes and acts to Paul in Acts 9.4, and what does he say? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, technically, Paul was persecuting Christians. He was not persecuting personally Jesus Christ. And then, you know, Jesus, he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Paul, he writes as well in Galatians 6.18, And from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. And Romans 8 as well talks about this, like I said, strange in our world. But it says, if you suffer with him, you will be glorified with him. So we see this sense that when a Christian suffers, Christ suffers. So as hard as it may be to receive, we are being called to accept the truth that following Christ will mean you will suffer. 1 Timothy 3.12 It says, Instead, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So like Paul, I want us to receive this and adopt a heart ready to follow Christ through the fires of suffering, not as something strange. Because Jesus did not act like this was going to be strange for his disciples. I mean, did he? My goodness, no. Let us come with the steadfast conviction of the apostles and countless millions, past and present, that we don't follow an imaginary Savior. Our suffering is not without purpose. Richard Wormbrand, he founded the ministry of the Voice of the Martyrs. You may have heard of it. He was in prison for Christ twice for a combined 14 years in communist Russia. And what did he say? He said, and this is just one man. I could give more. I come from the joy of having been with Christ in prison. I mean, this from a man who was severely tried with all variety of tortures when they would put him into a freezer and they knew when to take him out just at the right time so he wouldn't die, repeatedly over these years, beating the bottom of his feet until the bones were showing, repeatedly over all of these years. And he says, I come from the joy of having been with Christ in prison. You know Wormbrand's ministry, you know Voice of the Martyrs' ministry, you know that that was also purposeful suffering. God has used his witness across the nations, and he has used Wormbrand's purposeful suffering to build up, to hold up believers across the world who are suffering even as we hold this service. 
I mean, how are you going to encourage a Christian like that if you don't have a gospel like this? The true gospel. The world and the God of this world oppose and are in opposition to the kingdom of God. Therefore, they oppose those who are part of the kingdom of Christ. Yet this is not a kingdom that will falter. So what I would spur you on to do, brothers, is stand, brothers and sisters, stand struggling, like Paul says here, with all his energy that he powerfully works within us, even knowing that God's purpose will prevail. It is not purposeless suffering. Which then brings us to This next point, the point, behold the wondrous mystery, Christ in you. This mystery that was hidden for ages, but now is revealed, is that now this Jewish Messiah would include Gentiles in his saving mission. Now that's, I mean, we can back up and we can look at our Bibles and say, well, we see there are indicate. I mean, everywhere the Gentiles are being pointed to that they're going to be included in this. But they didn't have all this set out clearly before them. So this was indeed the glory. What does he say here? The, uh, among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. such that any who are in Christ are God's children, heirs of the promise of Abraham. Genesis 12, Genesis 15. Now, I would guess that most of us here who know Jesus, you are very likely a Gentile. Just, you're not Jewish. You heard this gospel and you believed. Now, we are in Christ Or as Paul says here, Christ is in us. But, again, like I said, this is a a challenging passage which requires a lot of explanation. Let me ask then, how is Christ in us? Well, Christ is in us by his Spirit. So 1 John 4.13, it says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his Spirit. And As you come to other passages in Scripture as well, you see these phrases like the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, when it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So those those phrases are used to describe this profound union that we have with Jesus by His Spirit. So hence, our response should be to glory in this blessed union. So Christ is with us by His Spirit, and we mean that. I mean, that is a wonder. As soon as a person trusts in Christ, there and then, by His Spirit, Christ is there. The Spirit of Christ Jesus then glorifies Jesus and begins forming and shaping us and conforming us to become more like Christ. You know, you may have close friends, you know, family, a a spouse, you know, children, grandchildren. But 
Are they there 24-7? I mean, like right there in your face 24-7? I mean, do they know your thoughts, desires, and longings? Do they never, ever leave you? Oh, no. Yet Christ is ever with us. He does not leave his children. Yes, there are times that we may feel like, you know, he's not there. There are times we may even grieve the Spirit of God by our sin. But he is still ever there. Christ in us. And if he was not, then none of us would remain. This building would be empty. But what glorious news and what a reason to glory in this blessed union to know that Christ is in us. But woe to those who do not have Christ. Those who cannot say they know Jesus. There is no hope of glory. So consider yourself whether you are united to Christ by faith. The spirit of this world would have you continue apart from Christ. He would have you think, oh well, it is safer to keep on the way that you know. He would have you think, you don't need Jesus. What you have will satisfy you well enough. Well, yes, laced with the poison of sin, it will bring some satisfaction, but its end is death. So stop going in the direction you are going. It's time that those chains come off. No longer continue as a slave to the devil and sin. No longer be bound in darkness en route to hell, but come to the Savior and He will surely save you. And you will be able to say, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And so consider yourself here. Is Christ in you? And so, with this grace-wrought truth before us, Paul, he would not have us as Christ's church be content though with a Christless ministry. No, here we see then our call. As Haven, as believers, our call a Christ-centered ministry. Now there are many ways that we can busy ourselves with much while not doing much for Christ. It's possible to decorate and post Christ on our walls and to have him on our bumper stickers, and have him everywhere displayed, but he is nowhere to be found. Jesus is not content to be a mere profession. How great should one's allegiance be to a king? Do we treat him like a king? And not just any king, but the king who is over all of creation and over all 
of salvation, a mere nod to Jesus will not do. A cheap grace gospel will not do. We are to come and bow before this great King. His life is ours. It belongs to Him. There is no place that will be left uncovered. There is not one inch that He cannot say and He should not say and you will not be in agreement in Him not saying, Mine. So hence, Him we proclaim, the one the world hates. Him we proclaim, the one who calls you to take up the cross. Him we proclaim. So with Christ in us, let us herald Christ. Oh, Andrew, herald Christ. Oh, Haven, Baptist Church, each member here, herald Christ. May it be that he would be the linchpin of all we do, gathered and scattered. May it be that the spiritual forces would see that here the gospel is gaining ground. And that would upset them. Warn everyone because wrath is coming. And then tell them of the one who bore the wrath, God's wrath in their place. Teach everyone, even as he directed us to do. What did he say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that you may teach them everything that I have commanded you. It is in doing these we aim at presenting everyone mature in Christ. And you know, in all transparency, you want to know my aim as your pastor? There it is. Every one of you be presented mature in Christ. Not one would not be presented mature in Christ. Under him, I long that that would be you. Well, how? How do we do that? Haven, if we want to move forward, how do we do that? Well, a Christ-centered, Christ-proclaiming, Christ-heralding ministry. That's how we do that. So let's, let's herald him that each one here who knows Christ may be presented mature in him. Now, in view of Paul's longing to present the Colossian believers mature in Christ, his struggling by the power of God, we come next to see this, his, Paul's purposeful struggle. So Paul, he wants the Colossians and those in Laodicea to know why he has so struggled and fought for them. So we just saw all that. We just saw Paul say, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now let me, let me tell you why this pur- that this is a purposeful struggle. And there are two major reasons that he gives here for this struggle. First, he struggles and he fights for them that they may be a people known for their love. He writes that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. So, in the midst of this battle... He wants to see you and I 
God wants us to be knit together in love. So consider this. What will a church look like that is maturing? Because this is flowing right out from where we just went from. What will a church look like that is maturing, that is growing and becoming more like Christ? Where the Spirit is at work and it is molding and changing and growing believers. Well, it will look like this. Hearts encouraged, comforted, strengthened hearts knit together in love. So a maturing people, a maturing church will be growing closer to one another and not less. And yes, that is messy, I know. <laughs> we read in Ephesians of that this morning. You know, endurance needed there. Bearing with one another in love. We want to be like that. So I want to, this is one reason I want to lift up our home groups right now before you as well. You know, we will be re- relaunching those next week. So the home groups, they are aiming at this. They're aiming at being knit together in love. So home groups are about coming alongside each other and following Christ, not by yourself. You were never called to do that. But following Christ together, praying for each other, seeking to apply the Word of God together. Let's not just hear the Word of God. Let us get the Word of God into our lives. And I want that, and I hope you do as well. All this, hearts encouraged and knitted together in love that you may be a people assured. That you would be grounded firmly in your faith in this mystery. When Paul, he wrote Colossians, what was going on there, there's these false teachers who were seeking to mislead them by Arguments that at first glance, they seemed plausible, but they were false. They were saying they had some higher form of knowledge of God, and the apostles did not. The the false teachers were saying that they were privy to a knowledge higher than the gospel itself. However, Paul will not have it. He writes that it is in the gospel full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul is directing us to Christ as our full assurance and not to some claim, to some higher knowledge, not to some secret word from God, and not to some mystical experience. We have God's word, His revelation, His final word, such that If and when we want to hear from God, we go to His Word. Such that we can say, when Scripture speaks, God speaks. So let this then spur us on to be a people assured, a people firmly and unabashedly planted in God's Word and the Gospel. So consider Paul's sufferings and struggle. Consider all we've seen and accept this call to suffer and struggle for Christ's sake.
which includes struggling to be knit together in love. So may we receive this. May we embrace this word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and and I, I realize that this is a there are so many truths here in, in this passage and there are so many uh, difficulties that could be challenging to us and, and, and the way we've even thought of uh, following Jesus. But may you just work in us even now that we would say, this is the word of God. This is how we are to follow him and this is uh, true of what it is to follow Jesus. And so help us, Lord. And help us and mold us and shape us in light of these glorious truths that Christ is in us. And with Him in us, this suffering is purposeful. This struggle is purposeful. That we would be about Him and proclaiming Him and the people knit together in Him. And Father, I just pray if there's anyone here who has heard these things and they have realized Christ is not in them, that they would even now turn to faith in Jesus. They would trust Him even now. We thank You, Father, and we pray this for Your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.